Hey now, welcome to another edition of the Inside BS Show. Today we're talking about your career. That's right, we're talking about what you're doing with the time you spend, usually between like 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Are you doing what you're meant to do? Are you doing something that fulfills you? Are you doing something that enables you to live the life you feel like you should be living? If you answered yes, you need to join us because we're gonna help you make it that much better. If you answered no, this may be the most important half hour to 40 minutes you've spent with anyone in the last six weeks, maybe even in the last year. I can't wait for you to meet our guest today on the Inside BS Show. My guest today is Amy M. Gardner, that's right, Amy Gardner is here with us today, and she's going to help you with your career and make sure that you're doing something that is designed to bring out the best in you. Amy, thank you for joining us today. Welcome to the show. And tell us, how did you come to help lawyers figure out what they should be doing? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, I'm excited to follow in Dan Potter's footsteps. So now you've, you've raised the stakes and the pressure. Um, so I graduated from law school and did all the things you're supposed to do. I went to a great law school, went to the University of Chicago Law School. I went to a great law firm, a scan in Chicago. Um, I was doing well there. I then transitioned, as so many people do, to a mid-sized firm. Um, I got to second chair a big trial, took lots of depths all those things that you know you learned about watching Ally McBeal or L LA Law or whatever, Law and Order, and were supposed to be great. And in many ways they were. But then I had the opportunity to become the Dean of Students back at my old law school. And when I returned to the law school, I discovered that some of the ways that we were preparing super smart people to practice law had not changed since I had graduated. And I found myself spending a lot of my time, even though I was the Dean of Students, working on professionalism and leadership for law students. And through that role, ended up working with quite a few law students and alumni who wanted some career help, particularly from somebody who'd just been a law firm partner uh, more recently than some folks. And through that, realized that it doesn't matter how smart you are in a classroom, and it doesn't matter how many NIDA seminars you went to. So often, we just tell lawyers, go get the next gold star, and nobody helps us to pause and think about, why? Is this what I want? And for a lot of folks, you know, making partner, getting those gold stars is exactly the right fit and what they want. And those folks can really benefit from help in advancing farther, faster in their careers. And for other folks, there's so many things you can do with a law degree that no one really tells us about. And you get in this mode, I often compare it to a worm and horseradish, right? To a worm and horseradish, the world is horseradish. Um, and so part of what we do with folks who may have just been really focused on putting their head down and doing great work is we help them figure out, are they happy? Is this what they want? And what might be a better fit for them at this stage of their life? Okay, I, uh, I love this. I love this topic because in what I do, oftentimes I will come across a lawyer and in our very first meeting, I can tell this person shouldn't be a lawyer. Like this person, you know, and, and here's the thing, and I'm curious about your opinion on this, Amy. There's a, there's a feeling among lawyers particularly third-year lawyers, let's say fourth-year lawyers, I've invested so much time. I've invested so much money in my education to become a lawyer. I, I can't do anything else because I've sunk all this time, money, 
and effort into this. It's almost like, Amy, it's almost like the, the bride who's walking down the aisle to the altar knowing full well that she shouldn't be doing what she's doing right then and there in the moment. Is that, is that something you see? It's it definitely something that we see. But one thing that um, is, is really interesting and perhaps reassuring for folks who may be feeling that way is often people come to us and say, I am done practicing law. I am done with this. And in reality, once we work with them on the things that are, are maybe not the right fit, they're often able to continue practicing law and being very happy. If I could just give a quick example, yeah. a woman came to us and said, I went out of my law firm and that's, I live in a small legal market. There's no in-house jobs for me. So I need to quit practicing law. And it turned out it was because she wasn't bringing in business. Well, by working with her and, and we don't generally work solely on business development. We generally work with you on your whole career. So we worked with her on business development as well as some communication issues and things like that within the firm. Well, she went from about $160,000 a year in business to now over a million dollar book of business. And let me tell you, the world looks different for her now that she has this large book of business, right? And that has given her the autonomy, that's given her the freedom. And now she is quite happy at her law firm um, and doesn't want to leave the practice of law. So for some folks, it is law wasn't the right thing to do, but there's so many things you can do with a law degree. And it is not too late to tweak, whether it's your setting or how you're approaching it, so that you can really make it into the career that you went to law school to have. Okay, so you hit on something that is that is a huge um, a huge aha moment for lawyers, right? And that is that if you want freedom, if you want independence, if you want to be able to call your own shots, you need to have a book of relationships, right? I'm not going to call it a book of business. You need to have a book of relationships that's portable that you can take with you from one firm to the next or into your own firm if you want to. Help me help the lawyers out there who are listening, right? You, you're not a vacuum cleaner salesperson. You're a relationship person. You're a problem solver. And connecting with people and solving problems, that is business development. Amy, am I, am I on track here? Is that, is that correct or am I way off? 100%. 100%. And I do want to be clear that there are some lawyers who could easily do business development, but choose not to. And that can be a valid choice. You might decide that's not what I want to do. So I'm going to do some some other type of role. But, um, you know, we have many clients who are in-house and in-house folks have to do their own version of business development, right? Um, because you need the manager of the factory in Denver to know to call you before things go crazy, right? And so there, whatever it is, there's going to be relationship building and virtually anything you're doing practicing law, whether you're in government or a nonprofit or in a law firm. And if you can get more comfortable with the building, the relationships, you're going to have a happier career. It's going to be enriched by those relationships and you're going to have a lot more options and freedom. So in the old days, it was like the four old men who had the corner offices did all the business development, like drinking bourbon or scotch at like, you know, 630 in the in the evening until the wee hours of the morning. And then the next day, a new matter would be on somebody's desk. Right. Well, I mean, now we all have the ability to connect to hundreds, if not thousands of people. We all have the ability to have our own radio station, our own TV station, our own network that we communicate with on a regular basis. So talk to the folks out there who are like just graduating from law school and, you know, 
don't forget the names of the people you went to law school with. Explain to these folks for me, please, Amy, because I, I do it all day long to the point where I think I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm losing credibility because I sound like, you know, back in the day we would say a broken record. Now nobody knows what a record is, right? So, you know, I, I sound like somebody who's a raving lunatic because I say it so much, but talk about the value of keeping those connections, those contacts over the course of your career, even if you leave the practice of law. How important is it to do that, Amy? Absolutely. And um, I... Perhaps surprisingly to some of my students, I am not that old, and yet still members of my law school class are GCs at you know, Fortune 50, Fortune 100 companies already. And um, so just building those relationships in law school, staying in touch with people, you have no idea where people are going to end up. Um, the person who goes to a small firm back in their hometown may be able to refer a case to you, even if you're at a big city, big firm, right? Um, and again, it's just going to enrich your, your career. But I would also say that if you haven't done the job you wish you had in nurturing those relationships over time, it is never too late, right? right? Um, the relationships don't actually expire until, um, until one of you passes away, right? So there's always a chance to go back. And whether that's through a law school reunion or you're reaching out because you're going to be in that town or just now, it's so easy to hop on Zoom and catch up. And the vast majority of the time, people are happy to hear from you. They didn't reach out to you in that time either, if it's been a while. And so they may feel a little sheepish about it too, but you know, just try to pick up where you left off and um, you never know what will come of it. You know, I have clients who tell me, well, you know, Dave, I didn't go to Harvard, so my connections are not judges or general counsel at Fortune 100 companies. I will tell you, the, uh, I can give you the tale of two lawyers. One lawyer, and these are, these are real clients. One lawyer graduated from Harvard, brilliant, absolutely brilliant person, had the world at his feet, could connect with anybody he wanted to, was involved in you know law review, you name it, was involved in everything, okay? Second lawyer graduated from, um, I could give you, I could give you two different ones, but we'll do, we'll do the University of Miami, all about the U right? And was, you know, middle of the pack student, had a good time, but was really outgoing and was a connector. So the Harvard person, you know, they, they ended up getting a good clerkship, ended up getting a great job at a big firm, didn't think to keep in touch with the people from, you know, from law school. The person at the U kept in touch with everybody and did regular quarterly mixers where people from their class came and they invited alumni and they did, you know, all kinds of events where they stayed in touch. Well, both of them went on their own after like five or six years and the Harvard person's doing fine, doing absolutely fine. But the person who went to the U sets their own hours and they have five lawyers working for them and they source an unbelievable amount of business, both of them at the same level, uh, you know, it, uh, in terms of time out of law school. But the Harvard person is working really, really hard as, and I hate this term, but there's no other way to call it, a service partner in his firm. Well, the guy who went to the U owns his own firm and has a bunch of lawyers working for him and has like three different practice areas and is thinking about adding a fourth and is doing great. And the only difference between these two people is the fact that one of them cultivated their network, kept their network going and growing, and the other one didn't. They didn't, they didn't prioritize it. They didn't think it was, you know, it was a, an important thing for them to do. 
to your point, they both schools have events all the time. You can go back and, you know, the best time to do it was then. The second best time to do it is today. So in terms of case studies, it doesn't matter where you went to school. The alumni are still doing really good, important things. All right, Amy, it used to be there were there were three real jobs for lawyers, right? You could go in-house and you could work in a, in a big firm or, a, I'm sorry, in a big company as an in-house lawyer, maybe, you know, be general counsel or, you know, head up a, head up a division, you know, the IP division of a big company or something like that. You could go into a big firm, into private practice, or you could potentially uh, go out on your own, uh, and then the third would be to go into government service, right? That used to be what you would do with a with a law degree. Now, there's so many more options. Talk about the options that are out there for people who they don't want to. They don't want to work for a Fortune 100. They don't want to go into private practice. They don't want to go into government service. What else can I do with my law degree with my skills as a lawyer? So I would, I would start by saying it's you know it's very um, case specific in terms of what are your skills, what are your strengths, what do you enjoy doing. But we've worked with clients recently, for example, who have um, gone to a mid-size, I'd say, company in a non-law role because the skills that you have as a lawyer, you've developed particular skills in your toolbox, right? To quote Liam Neeson, you have a particular set of skills, and those skills can be very helpful in a variety of settings, right? So you can go to a non-law position in a company. We've worked with clients recently who've um, gone into a law school setting to do um, uh, career services, student affairs, fundraising, right? Because if you are good at relationships, you can be excellent. Um, we worked with someone recently who um, is in a, a university fundraising role. Um, we've worked with folks who have gone into uh, into law, law um, in-house roles in universities, um, more uh, more um, typical lawyer jobs, of course, are, are more prevalent among our clients. But, you know, there are people who decide, I want to go into knowledge management. I'm a lawyer. I love to research. Um, I, I love being around smart lawyers, but I don't want to practice law anymore. I'll go into knowledge management at a larger law firm or a larger organization. Um, certainly, there are lawyers who become expert witnesses. There, there are so many different things you can do. Um, we worked with a, a client recently who went to a nonprofit, again, in a non legal role where they really valued the skills that that client had developed. So um, you have lots of different options and, and having a JD means that people um, know you can work hard, that you're able to do research and understand big quantities of information. And if you have those things that I hate calling soft skills, but um, if you have those relationship building skills, then you're going to have a lot of options. Some of the best consultants I worked with when I was when I was in big ticket consulting were lawyers who went into consulting. But and the reason they were the, some of the best consultants is because they could assimilate a lot of information quickly, and they they had a unique ability. Most of them had a unique ability to cut right to the heart of the matter because that's the way they were trained. So consulting is a great field for uh, for a lot of folks. You know, I, I have uh, one person that I worked with over the years who um, who went into uh, like opposition research or uh, competitive uh, research. So they do oppo research for political candidates. They also do competitive analysis for companies. And what they really enjoy about that is they just enjoy digging in and and keeping uh, keeping after, you know, they find a thread and they just keep after that thread and because they were a litigator, because they were a prosecutor, because they went to law school, they have this skill set that allows them to pull on that thread until they get to the heart of the matter, 
people don't realize the skills that they've developed in the practice of law over the years and how important and how valuable they can be. All right, Amy, so I'm going to ask you a question now, and then I want you to take a minute and think about it, right? Um, when we return, I'm going, to, I'm going to read a spot here, but when we return, I'll tell you a little story that will get, get into the answer of your question. Talk about the dearth of leadership in the practice of law, right? Because there's there's not a lot of there's 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 not a lot of real um, you know pinnacles of leadership success in the practice of law. Talk about how important that is and how and how you help people with that. And I want you to get into that in just one minute because I need to remind folks that we are brought to you by Sandrowski Corporate Advisors. You want to talk about leadership, leadership in the accounting field? You have to talk about Sandrowski Corporate Advisors. They will help you with your tax planning and with developing your business so that you can pay as little tax as is legally possible. You're not thinking about selling your business right now. I know you're not thinking about selling your business right now, but you should be. Because the best time to think about selling your business is when you start your business. Because the way your business is organized, the way it's structured, will have an impact on the taxes you pay when you go to sell your business. Now, you hate thinking about taxes. In fact, you hate everything about the term taxes. Then don't worry about it. Give Sandrowski a call. Let them focus on how your business is structured, how it's organized, so that you can minimize your tax exposure. If you happen to be a person who has done well in life and you want to minimize the amount of taxes for the folks that are going to come after you or you happen to have an accumulation of wealth and you want to make sure that you're doing absolutely everything you can to protect and retain as much wealth as possible, you got to give Sandrowski a call. Why? Because they wrote the book on this. It's called Setting Up a Family Office. So if you're an affluent person, you're a person of high net worth, and you want to invest your money and you want to do it in a way that makes the most sense, whether it's giving money to charity or investing in companies for the future. If you have a high degree of affluence or if you have a significant net worth, you can join other families like yours and form a multifamily office and get the opportunity, enjoy the opportunity to connect with investments that aren't available to the general public. Now, look. I'm talking to probably the top 1% of the population, but those of you out there who fall into this category, don't try to do this yourself. Give Sandrowski a call. They wrote the book on family offices. They literally wrote a textbook on family office formation and structure. Here's how you can reach them. 866-717-1607, 866-717-1607. Sandrowski Corporate Advisors, they really are a CPA firm with a different perspective. Now, Amy and I were just talking about business development and I've got a gift for you. Amy convinced me to give you my revenue roadmap guide for free. That's right, you're gonna get the revenue roadmap guide for free. All you got to do is go to revenueroadmapguide.com, enter your contact info there, and you can download it. It is the same guide I use with my clients. You can customize it for your firm. Build your own portable book of business. Now, you're thinking to yourself, well, I listened to the show yesterday, and Amy wasn't on yesterday, and you gave away this yesterday. Yes, but today I'm giving it away because Amy told me to. Yesterday I gave it away because I felt like it. I didn't feel like it today. Amy convinced me. Revenueroadmapguide.com. Enter your contact info there. You can thank Amy later. All right, Amy. Leadership. So I get a call a number of years ago. I had 
just started working with lawyers, and the call is from a guy who's a named partner in a firm, and he says, I'm going to retire in two years. And I picked my successor. He's the head of our litigation department. He's, he's a great litigator, but he's, he's not good with people. You got to fix them up in the next two years. You got you to gotta make them a leader. Can you do that? <laughs> so, you know, I said, let me see. Let me talk to the guy. It turns out the guy had empathy. He was, he was a good person. He wanted the best for the people in the firm. He had just spent, at the time, I think it was probably 26 or 27 years as a litigator in a contentious environment. So he wasn't the warmest guy in the world. So we had to get him to kind of think with a different part of his brain and he's now been in this in this leadership role for almost 10 years, and it turns out he's pretty good at it, right? Talk to us about leadership and why it is that more firms are, are not focusing on this and talk about what you do to help lawyers become better leaders. That's such a good question, and it's something that I think um, for so long, we have measured people in law firms on how many hours and how much origination, right? And the reality is, is those being able to bill a bunch of hours and bring in a bunch of business, I mean, presumably to be able to bring in a bunch of business, you're able to build relationships. But none of that necessarily translates to be able to lead a team of lawyers and professional support staff, right? And so one of the things that we have seen, so when we started off, we worked just with lawyers one-on-one -on -one and then small group attorney masterminds. And then a couple of years ago, we added team and leadership development because what we saw was you can work with one individual attorney and make them really great. But until you work with the whole team, they can only do so much. Right? And so um, there are lots of law firms have programs like a leadership academy or something like that. And those are great. And we love working with those programs. But um, when you work with the whole team, then you're able to make an even bigger impact. So you mentioned um, the leader that you worked with who had great empathy and you saw that right away one of the tools we often use with teams and with individuals as well is the eqi 2.0 assessment which measures your emotional intelligence and just being able to see these are areas you might be over relying on these are areas you could develop more if you wanted right getting some of that data can be really helpful for lawyers rather than focusing on things that can feel mushier right um, seeing that data can be helpful and then when you work with an entire team and you can see how you know if if Maybe one of the complaints is that people are too inefficient. Well, if you work with the team and the leadership within the team and they are feel, um, everyone feels more comfortable and better communicating with each other, they will waste a lot less time on CYA emails, right? They will waste a lot less time feeling everybody has to go to every meeting because otherwise they're gonna be out of the loop because they're gonna be able to rely on and trust that someone's gonna communicate with them. So some of these things um, are easier to address and, and some of them um, take more time, but if we work with individual law firm leaders in a vacuum, you can make a, a, an impact, but you aren't really helping the next generation. And, and I would just um, wrap up by saying, I, I think that one of the issues that we see is a cultural expectation in law firms, where a lot of law firm leaders think we are paying an incredible amount of money to these attorneys. If they want to develop their leadership, they will go and do it. And attorneys often think, I may be getting an incredible amount of money, but it's to work, work an awful lot. And the firm is teaching me what I need to know. So if the firm doesn't invest in my leadership development, I must not need it. And neither one of those is a, is a great, perfect solution, right? And so some of it is individual attorneys taking accountability and some of it is law firm leaders saying, you know what? The fact that I have great leadership skills will not help the firm down the road. 
if I don't develop everybody else's and, and work on the team as a whole. All right. So how often do you see the big originator get promoted to being a leader or you see the top biller getting promoted to be uh, a leader and they, they promote, so they promote the top biller and they say, okay, now you're, you know, you're in charge of all these people. Good luck with that. And by the way, don't let your billing fall off. Right. Or, you know, you originate $4 million a year. Congratulations. You're now a department head. Don't let your origination fall off. Is leadership something that we should be, is this a third competency that we should be adding to the law firm matrix, right? You got origination and then you've got the ability to do the work and then you've got leadership. Now, some people may have all three, but if you pressed me, it would be hard for me to find somebody that had two of the three. So should we be treating leadership as a separate competency area for law firms? Well, I do think that if you are able to bring in a lot of originations, you often have some great leadership skills already. Um, and so I often think about it as even if you assume that folks who are great originators and billers can lead, should we expect them to on top of that? Right. And it, it it's a little ridiculous to say you do a thousand things so well, hey, let's give you another one that is critical to the future survival of the firm and expect you to keep those other thousand plates in the air. And so we're seeing a lot of firms are adding folks like more practice managers who are dealing with the assignments so that the department head isn't having to do it. We're adding, seeing more firms add professional management so that um, the lawyers are not expected to add that other skill set. I mean, it's a little bit like being a small business owner, right? Just because you are great, in our case, we're great at working with lawyers on their career development and transitions, and we're great at working with teams, that doesn't mean we necessarily are experts at, say, social media, right? I mean, that there's we have these expectations of people, and we expect them to be great at all these things that may or may not be things they're interested in, and may or may not be things they're even prepared to do. And so some of it, I think, is looking at is it a reasonable expectation, and can we? how can we get the support to enable these leaders to thrive without expecting them to, you know, overnight learn a whole bunch of other skills. Should lawyers be concerned or intimidated when uh, professional non-lawyer managers are brought in? I have a, I have a client that just, they, they just promoted the, the firm's chief operating officer into the CEO role. He's not a lawyer. He's got a financial background. The founder of the firm remains as the chairman and the managing principal of the firm who is responsible for, you know, wrangling the legal work is still the managing principal. But the CEO of the firm is the person who has the financial background. Should lawyers be intimidated by that? So obviously things are, are fact specific, right? But in general, no. I mean, in general, that's a great sign that the firm is saying, hey, we do not expect you to be a jack of all trades. We wanna bring in specialists um, with expertise in particular areas and draw on that and let you do what you do best, which may or may not be the administrative work, right? Um, I, I do think that you want to understand, is this because something's going poorly and they're being asked to you know, right the ship? Or is it, hey, we're adapting to a new age and wanting our lawyers to have better work-life balance because we've seen over the last two years that when they don't have it, um, people leave and we're having trouble staffing up and we want people to have a great life while they work here. I mean, it depends what the intention is behind it. But you know, some of these, the non-attorney professionals, it can be a great thing for the average lawyer. 
Now you've you've really got your ear to the ground, uh, or to to use another cliche, uh, your finger on the pulse of what's going on in the practice of law. What do you think the future looks? Like? And I'm sure you talk to a lot of recruiters all day long. What, what do you what do you think the future of non-lawyer ownership of law firms looks like? Right, we got Arizona now. I think Utah. And you can see on the horizon the Deloitte's of the world getting ready to, you know, jump into the legal field in specific discrete areas. They already have an HR consulting practice. Could employment law be too far away for, for somebody like them? What do you what do you see? I mean, I guess it would be great for you uh, because you could then you could work with people who are non-lawyers who are going to manage law firms. But do you do you see that as something that is on the horizon in the next five to 10 years? Yes and no. I mean, I think that this might be an opportunity for lawyers to consider why are these particular states thinking this is a good idea and how might we, might we address some of these needs? I mean, maybe the solution is to train your lawyers in more business-minded skills, management, team development, that kind of thing, so that they are better equipped to, to run the firm. Um, and, and some of it is too, maybe it's bringing in more support to enable the lawyers to more effectively run the firms. Um, but I, I, one thing that I have seen, as especially over the last couple of years, so many lawyers have decided I'm gonna get a certificate in management. I'm going to um, take an accounting class on Coursera, things like that. So I think some of this pressure might be encouraging lawyers to develop some of the business management skills um, that, that can be really helpful. But I also think there are some pretty serious um, ethical concerns um, if you change the nature of law firms like that too. Talk, talk a little bit. Talk a little bit more about that because I hear that I hear that a lot in the medical field. Um, I hear it less frequently in, uh, in with it with regard to the practice of law. What do you? What do you? What what are? I I don't mean you. What what are folks afraid will happen from an ethical perspective if uh, knuckleheads like me start running law firms? Well, I think one of the well, I know one of the concerns that I've heard from lawyers is. Lawyers have taken a professional responsibility class. We've um, been examined in our knowledge of <laughs> the professional responsibilities that we have as lawyers. We have to keep up with CLEs, things like that. And you know, lawyers tend to come at it from a view of I'm going to do pro bono. I'm going to you know, uphold these ethical standards or it's going to you know, have serious career limiting repercussions. Um, and so I think you do get into an issue of how do you ensure that anybody uh, leading a team of lawyers has those same responsibilities or that same commitment. Um, because, you know, the, the reason that there are all the lawyer jokes is because we count on lawyers to represent people who are in trouble, right? The reason that you say, first thing we do, let's call all the lawyers is because we know lawyers have such an important role in protecting people's rights. And we want to make sure that law firms continue to, to uphold those responsibilities and do pro bono and, and maintain ethical standards. And so I think that's some of the, the concern around if people don't have that same um, ethos, what could that look like? Yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. But also as a as a Florida Bar Grievance Committee member for uh, one term was three years and now I signed up for an, a second three year term. A few years later, I will tell you that you can be a licensed professional and that could Absolutely. really mean yep. nothing. <laughs> right. Nope. 100%. I'm not, not wearing rose-colored glasses, but boy, wouldn't it be nice if everybody was yeah. Um, yeah, I think, the, uh, the Atticus Finch standards. Yeah. All right. So talk to me about what you, you're doing and what, so the name of your company is Apochromatic 
and talk right. to me about your um, your vision for your company for the next, say, three to five years. Where do you, where do you see Apochromatic going in the next three to five years? Sure. So we we founded Apochromatic almost exactly five years ago, five years and a couple months ago. Um, my husband, Keith Spiro, and I. And when we started, we were really focused only on working one on one with attorneys and other professionals. And then we added our small group attorney masterminds that meet for six months on career transitions um, and career development. And then a couple of years ago, we added the team development work. And I think in the next couple of years, we will continue to focus more and more on that team development work and um, continue um, working with attorneys one-on-one -on -one and in small group masterminds, but probably the one-on-one -on -one will be less so. Um, and the team development work, it initially it was just with in-house counsel teams and law firms. And um, now that has moved beyond just the legal industry. And so we work with teams of professionals in other fields and offer coaching as part of that. So I think that, that that team development side of the business will continue to grow. And we've been adding additional folks to help us with, um, we have a resume business and things like that. So we've brought in additional support and certainly hope to be able to continue doing that as we, we grow the team and grow the work. Fantastic. What is what, what am I listening for? What are the folks who are watching or the folks who are who are listening on the podcast? What should they be listening for to determine if somebody's a good fit for you and for your services? So on the, the attorney career development and career transition help, it's usually people who are really tired of things being fine and they want them to be more than fine. And, you know, they might be a partner, they might be a brand new associate, but either way, it's they want to have a great career that they love um, and they don't want to sit around thinking things will magically get better on their own. In terms of the team development, um, we often work with teams that are doing great in many ways, but the leaders recognize things can always get better. And we also work with teams where there might be a new leader who inherits a team and wants to maybe get them out of some old habits or start making some new great habits. We also work with teams um, where there's been some sort of change. So it might be people are coming back in the office after being gone for a couple of years. It might be that they've combined teams. Um, it, it might be any, any number of things. Maybe a couple of people have left. And we're seeing a lot of resignations right now in large part because people feel just disengaged from their work and their team. And so um, many leaders are bringing us in so that we can work with the team to foster that so that they can try to um, decrease future resignations um, and, and strengthen the team that they have. Um, you know, since you mentioned that, I, I need to ask you about remote work and the practice of law these days. I can tell you that a lot of the managing shareholders that I talk to are really struggling with this issue. And I, I feel like it doesn't need to be that tough. Like they're, they're just struggling with, should I bring them in two days a week? Should I bring them in five days a week? Should I bring them in three days a week? I mean, this is not, in my opinion, it's not a hard nut to crack. I think you gotta, you gotta ask them and see what they're comfortable with because in, in my opinion, I, I, well, it's not, it's not just my opinion. It's a fact. I don't think productivity was ever higher than when lawyers were working from home. I think it's the team, it's the paralegals, it's the support staff that we really need to be concerned about and, you know, seeing whether they can do their best work remotely. What, what are you hearing and what are you seeing in this regard? Well, you're absolutely right that we know from the numbers that productivity is up actually. Um, I do, but one thing that concerns me is that we've seen that while productivity is up, the average number of hours people are working is up in a greater number than that productivity. So we know that there's some certain amount of, of burnout and, and unproductive time as people are spinning their wheels. And 
I agree with you. People have to talk to their team and talk about what the team wants. One thing that really concerns me is when we see, you know, a firm might say, all right, pick any three days a week. We don't care what they are. You come in. And in theory, you think, oh, well, that's, that's nice. There's some freedom. But then what happens is we see people are going to their offices, shutting their door and sitting on Zoom with their colleagues. Like, why did they, why did you expect them to commute for that? Like, what was the point of that? And another thing that we see too, is that people say, hey, you know what? We're going to bring them back. We're going to have a great boxed breakfast. Everyone can come in and get their breakfast, go back to their offices. And we're going to put up a welcome back banner and that's going to be it. And the reality is, is that those relationships are frayed from the last couple of years. A lot of firms have brought in not lots of new people who don't even know each other. It's not just a happy hour or breakfast that's going to build those relationships back. Um, you have to do some intentional team development, whether that's something that you read a book on and you do on your own or you bring somebody like us in. You have to do that so that people appreciate working with each other and, and see the benefits of being part of your team, particularly now when there's so many other options for them. And that really helps in terms of whether you're staying remote or you're bringing people back in. That, that intentional team development can make a huge difference. I think that's I think that's great advice. I think that's terrific. All right, Amy, I'm going to ask you to think of three things, three things people should take away from our time together. While you're taking a minute to think of those three things, I'm going to remind folks that Sandrowski Corporate Advisors, they brought to you, they brought this show to you today and every day. So if you need help with risk management, if you need help with forensic accounting, if you need help with litigation support, Sandrowski Corporate Advisors, they're, they're the folks to call. They've been doing it for over 35 years. Although their offices are in Chicago and Bloomfield Hills, Michigan, they work all over the United States. And you could not find someone more dedicated to your financial needs than Sandrowski. You can reach out to them by calling 866-717-1607, 866-717-1607. We're also brought to you by my Revenue Roadmap Guide. Go to revenueroadmapguide.com, enter your contact info, download your free business development guide today. All right, Amy, three things we should take away from our time together. Number one. The first is um, time spent developing your career, developing your team is never wasted. It's really a deposit on your future. And that's why you should be intentional about it and you should do it. Um, the second is there are so many resources out there, whether it's you know the, the free resources you provide or working with somebody like you, or um, you know we don't expect smart lawyers to do their own taxes, come up with their own workout plans. You don't need to also come up with your own career plan, come up with your own team development plan, right? There are resources and you should take advantage of them. Um, and third is, is just reach out if I can be helpful. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, you can always send me an email. I'm happy to hop on Zoom, hop on the phone, talk through a career challenge you might be having, um, talk through a team development challenge you might be having, and suggest some resources. All right, so if you wanna reach out to Amy, I'm gonna put all of her contact information in the show notes. Her email address is amy at applechromatic.com. Don't worry about spelling applechromatic. I've spelt it out for you in the show notes. We're also putting it up on the screen right now. It's right below her face is her email address. You can reach out to her there. Amy, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure having you on. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for having me, Dave. All right. That'll do it for this episode of the Inside BS Show. I'm Dave Lorenzo. We'll be back here again tomorrow with another great show for you. Until then, here's hoping you make a great living and live a great life.